Thank you ladies for joining me today. And today we have uh, two ladies that I've gotten a chance to work with a little bit at Ridgewater College, and which is actually not just based out of Wilmer. When I went to high school, that's what I thought it was. There are two locations in Ridgewater and Hutchinson, but we have Kelly Magnuson and Laura, say your last name for me. Kuvas. Kuvas, that's what I, <laughs> I wanted to make sure with those last three letters, people could maybe say it wrong. And so we have these two ladies in. Hi ladies, why don't you just um, very quickly say your, uh, introduce yourself and what you guys do for the college. All right, I'll go first. I'm Kelly Magnuson. I'm the Vice President for Advancement and Outreach and the Executive Director of the Foundation. I think I have the longest title of anyone at Ridgewater. It's a lot of syllables. Yes. Laura, how are you? And uh, I'm Laura Kuvas. I am the Director of Marketing, Recruiting, and New Student Experience at Ridgewater. I oversee the Marketing and Communications Office as well as our um, admissions team. And soon at some point as well, our front, uh, front desk staff folks and our student services department. Wow, so you guys both have some wide ranging um, titles in there. And right. but both relatively new in your roles. Yep. And I um, actually took on my, my roles new. Um, it was a vice president position created um, to bring together purposely marketing and recruiting um, and elevate the foundation to be a part of more of that um, the college operations. And so I oversee the areas that Laura directs. Um, I oversee marketing, recruiting, admissions, and foundation and grants and alumni and kind of our community engagement um, efforts. So that's really the tie between advancement and foundation is the, the outreach piece. Got it. And Laura, and you've been yep. too, right? Yeah, so this role is, um, it was a new position that was created. Um, the organization is undergoing a lot of, you know, strategic planning and looking for the out to the future and what higher education is going to need. And, and as part of that, as I've understood it, there has been um, a lot of looking at roles and how you could merge departments or, or have them working more closely together um, that really needed to be working together um, more closely. And that's where aligning marketing and recruiting, they, they really work hand in hand came, you know, comes in. And so this position that I'm in um, was a new position because it brought in marketing and the admission side, um, as well as elements of new student experience under one role. So it's an interesting role. It's a, it's a big role and it's an um, exciting time to be working in the role at Ridgewater because um, there's a lot of energy um, and an excitement around building um, more bridges and collaboration between our departments with between, you know, marketing and communications and the admissions and recruiting side. So here's a question for both of you guys. Um, one thing I really struggled with when I moved from just a typical like traditional classroom teacher into the CEO class and then um, some technology work on the side is I had to define my own role. No one was there to tell me like, here's what you need to do and here's the expe expectation. That was a huge challenge for me. And was it, has it been for you guys as well? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, so I was one of the first big changes that came as part of the reorganization that our new president, you know, he came on board in July of 2018 and he started drawing out a new um, plan for the college, a new org structure, um, started rearranging things. And when he approached me about the idea that here's a position that I really think we need, and, and that had come out of um, a study that had been done of our enrollment management process and all the things. And um, so basically it was sort of this blank slate of, you know, I need someone to oversee marketing, recruiting, and missions. You already do a great job with foundation. This would bring together those pieces, but there was no roadmap. There was no, there was nothing, you know, other than, you know, I guess my background in looking at processes, asking a lot of questions. And um, while it was super exciting to have that new challenge and to have somebody sort of believe that, you know, okay, I'm the right person and I have what you think I, you know, it's going to take. I'll tell you, there were, um, I, I call them now crises of confidence. I have them every now and then where you we think you know, you think you know what you're doing, you think you're on the right track, 
you've got, you know, your, your boss who's helping you make, you know, Laura and I struggle with this too. We've got so many things. How do you take so many things down to a manageable chunk to work on this week or the next 30 days or whatever? And um, you think you know what you're doing and you've got all this, these people questioning, asking, you know, and all of a sudden you go, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, what was he thinking? Um, and then, you know, you get a good night's sleep and, and something happens and you get back on track. You know, we've got really good people and um, um, really great support across um, the college. So, so I can totally, like what you were saying, that, that there's no roadmap and there's no, nobody really defining what this is it's hard. It's really hard. It, it's super, sometimes super exhilarating, but it's also, it can be crushing too. Right. I mean, you, there were days I remember we, there was a, you know, when I first moved into this, this technology role is right when we went one-to-one -one with an iPad for every kid. And uh, the first two weeks were just, just a cluster. I mean, I was like, I was so heavenly ca like caffeinated and and just running around all over the place. And um, I felt like my head was floating and my inbox was full. I'd get it to zero, just like you had mentioned, Laura, before we started recording. And it was kind of fun. But then after that, there were times like, I remember two weeks in, everyone was comfortable, had everything that they needed. And I sat down at my desk and I'm like, okay, I, my job is to be busy. I, what, where do I, what do I do now? And that was the point where I wasn't a firefighter. I was supposed to build something. And that, I'd never done that before. That was super hard. Um, but Laura, you came in and things sounded um, really structured and simple for you to get started, right? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> sure, Tyler. <laughs> you know, I think what Kelly was talking about before, I've heard the term called imposter syndrome, where you feel like, you all of a sudden don't know what you're doing. And um, it's, uh, you know, that confidence that you all of a sudden feel like you're lacking. And I um, have felt that at times. Um, and I can relate to what you're talking about, Tyler, with the, the inboxes and your, your busy, busy, busy. Um, I have not yet had that moment where I, I don't know what I'm not, <laughs> what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, in this role, it's interesting because there, there was a structure with marketing and there's a structure within recruiting, but it's not exactly the same. And so, um, my, my job, I have to do a lot more delegating than um, I think what has happened in, in the past. Um, but at the same time, recognizing where I still need to be able to support my team. And there's a lot with that because there's a lot of opportunities for us to be looking at processes and things that we can do better as we, and, and more of as we are moving forward um, in this digital age that we are in. And so building this role, yes, it's a new role and, and figuring it out and then in figuring out, you know, what you can and can't do and where you need to be able to lean on on folks. And, you know, we've utilized you, Tyler, for various videos and different um, things. And so that's been a, a great, you know, resource for us to have. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a challenge because I am wired to want to do my best and give it my all. Um, I don't know how to not give my, <laughs> give my all. And that's a, you know, a great thing, but it's also a terrible thing at times because it means I don't always know how to shut off. And then it becomes challenging when you want to create a work-life balance when you have a family um, like you, I have a young family at, at home and to balance that out when I feel um that I want to be supportive of my team members and getting them the information, answers, resources that they need. And also all of our students, you know, because ultimately we serve students who are looking to faculty and staff to be able to meet their career goals. And so there's all of all of that. So certainly it's, it's not easy. Um, but um, as very smart people have told me, I have to remind myself, you are enough, you are enough. And you got this, my saying back there um, that came from some colleagues um, at the organization I left beforehand who were sad to see me go and I was very sad to leave, but this was such an amazing opportunity to bridge work that I had done for Ridgewater many years ago as a recruiter and my marketing experience that comes out of healthcare um, in a very unique way. Um, and if you had told me 13 years ago, I think at this point that I would have came back after that, um, moving on in my career, I, I, I wouldn't have believed you, but um, it really felt like this was the next step in my career and where I, where I need to be right now. And as Kelly said, that 
I am the right person for this role. I just also have to believe in myself too, which we're, we are our own worst critics so often. We are, we are really hard on ourselves at times. Um, and I have to remember that. Not yeah, to be Laura, Laura and I are cut from the same cloth sometimes, I think, because um, we do both have super high expectations for ourselves. Um, and, so, and that when the, you have so many things happening, it's really hard to maintain that level of expectation for yourself and still get things done. Um, and also uh, another thing that, that makes it difficult um, in new roles is knowing when to delegate and when to do the work yourself. Um, you know, in my old role as foundation director, I was a two-person office. And so I just had to do most of the, the leadership stuff. I just had to do it. And whether or not that was, a, you know, was I the, I was the foundation accountant. That's not really my job, but that is part of running a foundation office is making sure the accounting is done. And so, so that's been a real transition too, is you, you take on a new role without that roadmap and without some clear definitions. And then you have to kind of struggle to figure out what, where can I delegate? Is it okay to delegate or should I do it myself? Um, so I think we're both learning kind of side by side on, on how that, how that should go. How, um, you know, how do we help each other? How do we define what's priority and what's not when right. everything feels like a priority? So yeah, yeah. what I'm hearing is like a pretty, uh, I've read about this in books, but just like, it's called delegation guilt when people are, um, they're, they're the, they've been their whole career. And it's usually when you're younger is you're a boots on the ground person that, that does this, that you do the stuff, right? And then all of a sudden you're not the boots on the ground person or at least not 100% capacity of your job. And people, we've just been conditioned to, to take it and say, I've got it, I've got it. And now you're actually doing a disservice to your, the people, the organization maybe by trying to take it all. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, part of that too is the pride in your work is knowing that people rely on you because, or people know they can trust you to get stuff done. Right. And that's huge. It's like, that's part of who I am at work is, yeah, you give me something, I'll get it done for you. And then, and in some of these roles now, that's really not the best thing. Yep. I completely agree. It's been something that as I came into this role, my goal was first of all to seek first to understand, um, to understand the history and the whys and the hows of, of, of different things um, to help better, I think, prepare me on to know where I can delegate and, and where I can't delegate just yet because Part of it is with my teams, I, I want them to feel empowered to take projects and do things as well. Um, and I have to let go of that too. So that, you know, type A, I can be a little bit of a control freak. Um, but also it is a fine line of knowing, yes, when is it either faster to do it yourself or, you know, is it better to, to delegate it? And it is, it is not easy. Um, I, will, I will say that. And I am trying very hard to get better at it and to figure out um, you know, where the projects are within scope to let people run with it and then um, make sure that I'm giving them enough direction and guidance that they can run with it as well. So it's, it, it, it's a balance and it's certainly not easy. <laughs> right. I want to ask a little bit more about the imposter syndrome thing too. When, when do you get those feelings? Because sometimes I get them, it's like 3 a.m. And I wake up and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I'm certain I, I know the world is crumbling when I wake up. <laughs> I just know everything's terrible is I don't know if that's just unique to me, but that's when I tend to get those things is like at night or when things have slowed down. And when do you experience that or have you recently? I think for me, when I experience it the most is when um, people share with me ideas that maybe another school or something cool, a cool marketing idea, maybe it's not even another higher education institution is doing, um, but you see it on the news or um, on, a, on a website or whatever. And all of a sudden it's like this really cool idea. And you're like, oh, why didn't I think of that? Or you see something else that someone else is doing and you, you know that you're doing your best, but at the same time, you just feel this sense of, of weakness, like, oh, if only I was that much better, we could be doing that, or we could have done that. That's when I really feel it, when I'm seeing the, the cool things that others are doing that we aren't doing yet, or we wanted to do, but couldn't do, or we're in the, are in the process of doing and just haven't gotten there, where it's like, oh, because you, you, you see what you like and you want to be there. 
that's when I feel it. Yeah. And I can, um, I can add for me, um, I'm a real, um, I like to have all the details and I don't make decisions quickly. So, you know, that can be good or bad. I probably, my boss says it's, it's a good thing that you think through things thoroughly, but to some, it would feel like I am too slow, right? So others on my team, for example, are, are wired differently and they are quicker to want to get to a decision. And so that kind of, so when I am with that kind of person or we're talking through and, and, you know, think about all the changes we have to figure out, how are we going to do this? And for me, then I have to work through all the details of how is this going to shift and how is this going to work? And then I, I get someone else questioning or maybe pushing a little harder and pushing me to go where I'm not ready yet. Mm-hmm. Then I get really shaky and feel like I must not be know I must not know what I'm doing. To me, that's when it happens when someone else. And I don't think that's the intention of it, but just another person's style and or asking questions that make me feel like I'm not sure what I'm doing. That, that's typically when it happens for me. I, sure. I would agree with Kelly. When I can't make a decision fast enough either, it feels, that's when it feels like it too, because you want to have the information and you want to make the right decision um, that those butterflies kind of come up like, you sure I'm the right person for this job? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I have the complete opposite problem than you two ladies in that I, uh, I, I don't, I don't need, I don't need the details necessarily all the time, which means that the people that work for me and with me sometimes get frustrated because we'll do like, we'll do hours of work and days of work. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess that was stupid. We shouldn't have done that. And, but it's easier in a small little organization like this than you guys, you guys have, thousands of humans relying on your service. You know, I mean, I think there's a little bit of safety around being in a smaller team in a smaller organization than there, especially because there's only, there are only four personalities that I have to deal with to make a decision. And you guys have several, several more than that. And um, I mean, that's gotta be a challenge, right? Is you're in a big organization, at least compared, like comparatively speaking, and you have to be friends tomorrow or have to be able to work with that person. Well, and not only that, everybody's watching. Right, right. Think about it. You know, they, they're waiting for the next big move or the next change to come down and everybody's watching. And so I didn't mention this, but I wonder for you, Laura, or for you also, how much of that crisis of confidence or that imposter syndrome flares up when fear of failure is kind of in the back of your mind you know I mean isn't that where you're so we're so careful about making we want to make the right decision we don't want to screw up and so you know I think that's partly where it comes from too oh I think it's definitely the core I I mean I see it in CEO some of our most natural leaders I wouldn't say our best leaders by the end but our most natural leaders starting the year after the first couple of weeks are the kids that are not type a where they, they can just kind of like, they're focusing on making the group feel good. And, and it's a little easier for them to be in a leadership role because if, if there's a mistake made, they, like, it doesn't affect them emotionally. Mm-hmm. Where like when I was in school, I mean, I was a, you know, a good student and um, I remember just the terrible anxiety of you know, like getting my first B minus in college and just like, it was awful. And we're just doing work to avoid the failure instead of like trying to build something new and, you know, and successful in the future. Yeah. I think you guys hit a, the nail on the head there that, you know, that little, that fear of failure, when that starts creeping up that, you know, you, that certainly plays a role in that too. But I, I also try to remind myself, you see this all the time, you know, that, <clears throat> if you fail, you always learn something from it. And one of the nice things that I remember um, in my, in my interview with the, the president was that he, you know, said, it's okay to try new things and it's okay if they don't work out, right? We're going to learn things from that. So you have to be, it's, it's okay. I'm giving you permission to try new things and giving you permission to fail. And to hear that is really reassuring that we have this, you know, 
opportunity to try things we haven't done before or do things in new ways and figure out what works, what doesn't, what can we learn from it. You know, especially right now in our COVID-19 situation, working from home, virtual learning, your you know, distance learning, all of this are such opportunities that we're going to take so much of this away and um, never go back to 100% of what it looked like before COVID-19. Yeah, and I, I think, again, that's another change, that whole acceptance of or attitude that, so what, we're going to try some stuff. We're going to try this. And if it doesn't work the way we think it is or that it will, it's okay. We'll, we'll learn from it and we'll move on. I'm not sure that we had that mindset or that we were allowed to kind of do that before. It, it feels like it's a change. Right. I mean, it, it's definitely a sign of like good leadership when that person, especially when that person is the one that's going to shoulder all of the failure and the criticism. If you guys, you know, Yes, the people that know you know you work for Ridgewater. They might not. They might even know the decisions that you make. Maybe if you make a mistake, but the general public, if something failed, you know, um, I mean, Craig is the is the person is the person that they'll ask the yeah. question of first. Right. Well, and his point, you know, everything we do, you know, and people don't like change. Um, they, they 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 get in their habit, and they, and all of us, at, to some degree, are uncomfortable with change or uncertainty. Let's put it that way. But he, he comes in as a newbie and he says, okay, college, your enrollment has declined X amount since 2011. Clearly what we're doing isn't working. Right. And so, you know, you, you keep that in, in, in mind with everything that we're trying. And he, he says, if anybody pushes back, you say, well, hey, what we were doing wasn't working. And so that's really been empowering and like, and it goes right to what Laura said, we have to try new things and we have to be okay because what we were doing before isn't working. And, and yeah, I mean, being in education for a long time myself, it's an industry that hasn't changed much over the last 40 years. Yeah. And um, it's, I, I, I heard someone speak today and I'm, I won't be able to remember the name, but um He's a, he's a professor, and he said that COVID-19 is not a destructive force for, you know, education. He's talking, you know, pre-K through post-secondary. He said it's an accelerant for change. It's not like coming in out of the blue and going to force us to do things that we never would have done before. It's just making us do things that we maybe should have done faster or, or things we were going to get to faster. And with that, I mean... How the heck did you guys take a, a school? I mean, and with no, no one had any prep. Like no, we, we didn't, even at the high school level, we had, I was teaching a class that was our whole premise is on meeting people in person and shaking hands. I mean, that's part of our tagline. And now we can't do it. And so much of the education you guys have is hands-on. And that, that's why I think you guys are going to be successful is, um, but how did you make the transition from, what you've been doing for a while, a meeting in person to just organizationally getting people that have never worked remote to work remote if they don't have internet or they, I mean, they are used to being able to like walk down the hall and ask a question and now they can't do that. Let's, let's do this. How about when did you first realize that this was going to actually affect the structure of Ridgewater? When did you first kind of realize that? Well, I remember Laura, I think you were there. Missy Majerus was at the table in my office. Were you on, and we were talking about preparing to, I mean, she was pushing that we are going to have to figure out how to get people remote. And I can't remember, this was just staff, I think. Um, and all of a sudden we met on a Monday and by Wednesday, we knew we had to get everyone off campus by end of the day Friday. And it was like, woo. And that, that's just talking staff. That's just, that wasn't even the, the faculty component. So we had extended spring break twice at that point, or was that still the first extension? I think we'd extended it twice. So it's such I, I can't remember. It's a blur. <laughs> it's it's kind of traumatic too. To think. 
<laughs> to think really back, you know, it's like, whoa. I do remember having a conversation. Kelly had asked me, we were working on a project to get all of our students uploaded into what's called the star alert system. It's an emergency alert system excuse me, that students get a text message and it's, it's for specifically emergencies and students had to opt in. And we later learned um, through this last year that with emergency alerts, we can auto opt in students, you know, and so we were figuring out how to do that. And the question had just come out because we had used it a couple times, right? Some bad weather kind of things, you know, there was, we've had some, we had some bad weather. Um, and Kelly was like, do you think we should still move forward with this? And I'm like, you know, if COVID-19 hits us, we're going to need that. And if, if that's where we end up. And so we made the decision, I think it was that night to go ahead with the upload and um, our IT department took care of all of that. And thank goodness we made the decision because within a, less than a week. Less than a week. I think a couple days. We were like needing to send out that spring break is extended. So, so the 9th through the 13th was our regular spring break. That meeting that we had was that next week on Monday, speculating that we could have to move home, you know, whatever. And by the end of that week, and luckily we had prepped our IT team about that star alert thing. I mean, that was something we had talked about doing weeks or months ago. And so they had prepped the upload. So it was ready. They were just waiting for us to give them the go ahead. And so I actually called Laura and I said, okay, do you think we need to do this star thing, the star alert thing? She said, yeah, let's do it. And thank God we did because seriously, I think it was like two days later, we needed to send an all student alert and we knew that every student was going to get it because we had taken that step. That was one of the best things that we did. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was crazy. Our, our faculty, many of them don't feel that they didn't feel their courses could be taught online. You know, there's that mindset, right? And then you tell them you have to. You have to figure out how to do this remotely. And I'll tell you what, our deans and our instructors who do had already known how to do online, they stepped up and they were assisting and helping and guiding those other instructors to learn how to do it. And I heard from some students that, you know, the first week was rocky, you know, in some of the classes. Be, and what would you expect, right? Because yeah. they had two weeks. Right. Um, but then, you know, they, they got the hang of it. And um, anyway, it was pretty miraculous. I because think. You, you were using the extended spring break to allow people to prep. Yes. Yeah. So normally on spring break, you know, they're off on vacation, but then having that two week extension that came down from the system office allowed us to, to get ready, but still two weeks to put, you know, one or more classes completely online when you've never done that before. Right. Um, is quite the, the feat. Yeah. I think it was probably helpful that as a system, Minnesota State has the D2L online, the learning platform and the fact that we did have faculty that have taught online to have those resources internally and that so many students of ours routinely take online classes. I mean, it's over a third of our students that are taking online classes at any given time, right? So it's a big chunk of students. And I think when I look at like my son's experience on the K-12 side, I think that was a, you know, a, a nice thing to have on the higher education side is that some of those platforms were already there and built and able to be used um, instead of trying to you know, have to figure out a new, new solution for that. So that certainly I think helped as well, um, but it certainly wasn't easy I think for our faculty either. And I give all of them, including our staff who are working from home, um, mad props. It was a, a mad rush to get everybody out and um, you know, taking equipment home with them and checking out equipment um, so that we could all be working from home. And it's really a whirlwind because I can't even tell you what the, those dates were when you talk about like, when did we know it's like, I'd have to look at a calendar and dig through emails to figure out no. this, this was it and this is what it's gonna look like. And then we were starting, trying to figure out how many of our staff are gonna need webcams, how many are gonna need hotspots because they don't have internet, who needs to take a printer home Home with them to be able to do their job what do people need to be able to do that and you've got all these people um, you know Ridgewater took this very seriously and we have a, a very skeletal crew back on campus that was there for essential operations for students to access the internet and printing and, and computers and that's it I mean it was safety first our student safety you know it's about putting our students first in that regard yeah I remember in maybe January it was, at, it was after um, our winter break at the high school. But I remember talking to a few of the teachers and just saying, uh, oh, yeah, have you heard of this, you know, this, 
this uh, virus in China. Oh, that yeah, I have heard a little bit about it. But it was one of those not American Midwest problems. I like, oh, that's something that happens somewhere else yeah. with a different name. That I, I distinctly remember asking Ken Heitzman, and Kelly, you know who that is, but yep. I remember I asked him um, on a Thursday, and I don't know what day it was, but on a Thursday, I said, what do you think the chances are that this virus affects the school year's schedule this year or next year? And he said, almost none, slim, almost none. And then seven days later, just seven days on a Thursday again, I asked him, what do you think the chances are? And he said, 100%. Wow. And, and yeah. that, that was when we, when we went on our uh, spring break. Um, we, the governor had come out and said, we're extending spring break for everybody. You can't start high school classes until after this date. I don't remember what that was. Yeah. But um, we had already had our spring break um, scheduled for that extension. And so our staff only got three days. We canceled school. <sighs> Um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, because we had school that week and they had three days to try to get it ready. And it was, there were frustrations and tears. And oh, I, I remember imagine. it Same was, thing. Me, yeah, exactly. It was me and the, the two uh, teacher coaches, the principal, Paul Schmitz. We just sat in a room for the first four hours of that first workshop day. Just how, what, do, how do we do, what how can do we, do we this? actually expect? Like, how do you set up a, a minimum or how do you set expectations in a completely new world? And I mean, I don't know how it's going to go, but um, I would guess that for you guys, and this is a, a question that I, I was kind of thinking about is you had mentioned that we're never going back to hundred percent of what we had before. Um, in particular that Ridgewater, I think it's worth noting to people that will see this or listen to this is, you guys want this to be as good for students as possible. And so when the school year comes back or whenever we're able to legally go back to as normal as we can be, I mean, you guys want the best for the kids. And that might mean that some things additionally are available online, but definitely when given the freedom to, you're going to do what's best for the kids and have them in person again. Like there's no plan here to just totally flip everything permanently. Yeah. You know, Dr. Johnson says it. He says, we will not be the same college coming back. And that doesn't, but also that we do not want to be 100% online college. Right. That's not what, that's not what we're about. Um, and I think too, um, the language that we use in referring to this, we have to get better at using the right words because online is not really what what all we do. Okay. Right. So there's online where a student, you know, I think you picture that they log in, there's the lesson in there, they do the work, there's maybe no interaction with the teacher. I don't know. I don't really know what online is, but I think there's better versions of that, that we do using our D2L and recorded lessons and interaction discussion boards, all of that. But what we're talking about is distance learning or remote learning that can be synchronous, that can be not synchronous, and that there's all kinds of different versions of how we can do learning that's not face-to-face -face and that's not 100% online. So we need to get better about talking about that. And that's where, you know, Dr. Johnson says, we need to create this array of, of different offerings and, and find what the best mix is. Um, I'll give an example of an unintended consequence, a really positive one, two examples actually for technical programs that you know normally would say this is not the way to do this we should not be doing this online it has to be done or remote we should do it in person so our machine tool instructor decided that she was going to put a gopro on her head while she was doing some tooling okay and she said it was amazing that they actually probably got a better view of what she was doing than they would have standing next to her looking at a side view. You know what I mean? Like normal, they would do it that way. But because she had it right there, seeing what she was seeing was a better experience. It was a better learning opportunity. Same thing, similar thing with um, a photography instructor said, and now let me think. He said, he talks fast and he said in class, I will really, you know, push through the stuff just because that's how I am and I'm excited about what I'm talking about. But he had to record the lesson and it was on using white light or a whiteboard or something with photography. And he said what he found was because the students could review 
the recording multiple times and practice, the end result of their work product was way better. So how cool is that? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely. And for the photography teacher, you know, because I know, the, you know, who you're talking about, and that, that team is pretty, they're pretty progressive and, and mm -hmm. cutting edge. You know, they would have probably stumbled on doing something like that sooner or later. But we took 100% of the population. These are Bridgewater instructors, high school teachers everywhere, and we forced them to do it. And it wasn't just the few that would have done it eventually. Now everyone did it. We almost like took a little step and, and not that we're going to stay there permanently, but we added skill sets to people that wouldn't have sought out those skill sets. Before. Or even just open the, the, their minds to the possibility that this could be done different. I never thought of it until I was forced to try it. And now you can do it. Mm -hmm. And before they would have been scared to do it. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to get a little more personal, but not too personal. This isn't weird. Um, you guys both have lengthy titles. <laughs> And what would be the next title that you would want? Or is there one? Like, what's the next career move? Um, almost every single person we've had on this podcast, well, every single one has been from the private world. And they maybe don't understand how it works kind of in, a, in an educational institution, in a public world, how careers like evolve and how you grow. Like, is, can you envision something next? A hard question. Ask hard questions, Tyler. Yeah. You ask some really good questions. <laughs> well, Laura, you can just say, "Yeah, I'm planning on getting a job." Not job. Job. No, <laughs> so interesting. Your that question on that front because um, as I was thinking and making that decision to make the career change from where I was to come into this role and felt like this was where I was meant to be and um, where I needed to be at, at this point in my life, I was also having um, considerations of going into teaching at some point. <laughs> um, and that was, as I was working in, um, with a new employee at my former role um, who I was mentoring and became very, very close with, um, there were so many times as I was working with her that I felt this like tug right in my heart, like, geez, I should be back in higher education, right? Like there was just, I just kept feeling that, that tug, like something with education and teaching because of the work I was doing with her. And when this opportunity came up, it was like, oh, well, this would put me back there where I didn't think I was going to be. And it would maybe open the doors for that. And what does that look like? Does that mean um, maybe it's K-12 teaching? Um, you know, that was pre-COVID, pre, pre <laughs> is that um, teaching at the collegiate level to be um, teaching um, uh, you know, on the communication side of things, whether that would be on a technical side or a, a liberal arts side. I, I don't want to say for certain that that's where the, the next step is, but that was part of what brought me to back to, to Ridgewater was thinking that maybe being in education in some way, shape or form is the next step, whether and what that might look like. But seeing all the COVID stuff, you know, I, I can't say for sure right now because um, it's, you know, seeing what you guys have gone through on K-12, you guys have done an amazing job, by the way. So mad props. I know you talk about it. It's, you sat in the room and it was hard. Um, you know, I remember that first day trying to get onto the Seesaw app with my son and, you know, I think Seesaw crashed. Like they had way too much traffic because every educator was using it because there weren't enough technology solutions, right, for what they needed to do. But mad props to everybody in K-12 and in the higher ed system. You know, I know that it's hard and it's hard for all of us, but you, everybody really is doing the best they can and it's there is good work and so you just um, how are you going to do it you guys are doing it and you keep making it better Laura you deflected that question like a pro <laughs> she good did Gosh, didn't that she? was impressive and you know I have to add in in Laura's role already she's been with us oh gosh six months six seven months not that long but she has such a great I can I can see where the teaching you, you have that, I feel like you have that capacity and that natural ability because as she's mentoring and supervising her, her team, she's teaching them. She's, she's helping them along. She's helping them develop their skills. She's giving them opportunities to do more. And she's just a natural at it, much more so than I am, I think. <laughs> You're definitely patient. I mean, you've even shielded yes. him from me. Like, let's do this. Da, 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 da. And you're like, hold on now. Like, put the bridle <laughs> back on. Like, stallion. And 
we'll figure, you know, we gotta, we gotta be a little more deliberate with that, which your team should be thankful for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kelly, I don't think you're getting out of this question. Oh, your job didn't exist before. Now it, it exists. Didn't. And you know, I think that this is my dream job. I, I think that, you know, I had been in the same job for quite a while and I was ready for something different, but I didn't really know what that was. And I didn't see anything on the horizon, but I sort of put it out in the universe. I started, you know, thinking, I, you know, I wish there was something and this, this is what I want to do. And somehow it appeared. And I know that's funky, you know, that's, but I really truly believe that that's where it came from is the stars aligned in a way. And I think this is the job I was meant to do. I have a long ways to go. I have a lot to learn. Um, But I'm also not that far from retiring in 10 years, you know, whatever. I do not want the president's job. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not qualified anyway. I'm not a teacher. Um, But no, I, I, I've always thought I'm a really good number two. You know what I mean? I'm good at and I didn't see that, I didn't see the potential at this level to be someone's number two, but that's really what I am. I'm, I'm a right-hand person for someone else, and I love that role. Does that I answer just, your question? Yeah, it does. Um, I just, uh, you guys both, politically, you could run for office. You guys answered those well, um, it, without getting too much information, but somehow praising others. She ended up, Laura ended up telling me that we were good teachers and I haven't done anything. Yeah. And you ended up basically praising your boss. And I mean, good for you. Great, great nice. work. Um, anyway, but I, I think that uh, you, when you were, it sounds to me like when you were in that position, you, and you kind of put it out there or you were trying to envision what you were gonna, wanting to do next, some people would have just gotten negative instead. And, I, and I've seen people like that in, in, in the high school and in other education institutions too, um, is they just get a little disgruntled and teachers are, it's a, it's a tough gig. And it's one of the reasons why I moved out of it a little bit is when you can, for some of us, when you can look at the salary schedule and know exactly where you're going to be 25 years from now or, or thereabouts, you know, mm-hmm. assuming some increases, that was depressing for me. That, that just, I don't know. I just didn't like seeing that exact linear roadmap that just drove me nuts. But then for my wife, she loves it. She loves that. And um, so I think there, if there are people like me that maybe shouldn't be sitting in education for a long time, cause I would have, and I was getting that way, just like a little bit negative where I just was, was getting mundane and I was blaming the system instead of it was me, you know, needing to move or needing to change. And so I applaud you for actually staying positive and sticking with it because I think some people don't, you know, they just kind of get a little negative. Um, okay. Last question. Cause I'm already at yeah. 359. Uh, flash forward nine years. So Kelly's not retired yet. She's still employed. <laughs> what does, education, post-secondary education, we're not to talk specifically about Ridgewater, what do you think it looks like or how do you think it's different than now? Nine years is a long time. And you're asking two people who aren't educators, but um, I'm going to throw something out. Sure. Um, I think already we're starting to think differently that why do we do semesters? Why do we do, why do we have to have a two-year degree? We're, we're starting to talk a lot more about let's certify, let's, let's provide training and certificates that add, build on to each other in shorter term because that allows more flexibility for students. I feel like that's the direction we're headed. I don't know that degree, you know, the, the traditional degrees will go away, but I, I think there's a lot of opportunity to really change some of that. What do you think, Laura? I, I, I agree. I read a really interesting comment. I think it came out from our system office about how we have to be preparing for a lifetime of careers um, and um, not just a career to last a lifetime, but a lifetime of careers. And I think that when you look at higher education in nine, 10 years, 
I think there's going to be more adaptations on that. Like Kelly's talking about more of the, the add-ons for people to continue to grow and advance their skills because you can't just get your degree and stay stagnant and not keep up with continuing education. It, things change so rapidly. Um, and it's not just in one sector where it's like, oh, doctors need continuing education. No marketers, we need it too, right? Because on the digital side, things change daily, constantly, right? Well, you know, it's never going to change in photography. Well, look, we used to be able to do, you know, manual, you know, um, you know, processing of film, and now we're in the digital space, and there's all these cool things that are happening, right? So, being able to stay on top of that, I think, is is a big part of that. Um, and I think Kelly's onto something there. You know, as I look at my, my son in the K-12 and what has happened with the um, distance learning, I think you're going to see more classes that combine more of those approaches with that homework assignment. And, and my child, he's seven, he's not there yet as far as what happens in the high school and, and doing some of that more online digital integration. But I think you're going to see more of that and uh, more opportunities for that, more flexibility in offering some of that. So, you know, your, your student is sick for the day, right? Right, they have pink eye, they've got strep throat, whatever it is, they can't go to school, but maybe they might actually be able to, you know, listen in remotely to the class because there's a camera in the classroom where they can actually do some of that work instead of having to, to wait. I, I think that you are gonna maybe see some of those uh, those shifts that would be happening that you're going to take the good that's coming out of COVID with this technology and figure out how you can utilize that. And that's where I see Ridgewater going to is we are looking at everything that we're learning with, you know, adapting in this environment and how do you take that and take the good out of it and apply it going forward and even learn from what didn't go well to be able to adapt that too, so that you're you're constantly innovating. Yeah. And you know, for us too, it's what does, what does the industry need? What is industry demanding of us? And, you know, I would say recently when the economy was booming, we couldn't get students through our programs fast enough to meet the need for welding, to meet the need for automation students because we, because it's a year long or it's two years long. And so I think that's going to be a real driver now that our minds might be more open to the fact that maybe it doesn't need to be a year long or two years long. Maybe it could be a series of quicker um, certifications or, or trainings that gets them to the employer quicker. You know, I, I just feel like that's really going to be the driver. And now we've got a more open mind to how it, it could be different. Yep. I also think too that there's a shift happening where people are um, coming back to understanding and being more aware of the value of when you do have hands-on technical programs and, and what that means, um, especially coming you know, out of a good economy and when you're looking at what's happening and what the skills are that are needed and coming out of school with massive amounts of debt and where that puts you with different things, what it means to have this adaptability and to come out of school with low debt amounts. Um, I do think that there is a renewed emphasis and there should be a renewed emphasis on not saying that it's, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to Ridgewater or um, anything like that, that no, I'm going to the number one community college in Minnesota and they're awesome. And um, this is going to be great for me wherever my path goes because I'm recognizing that I have to be prepared for you know a lifetime of careers and not just you know a, you know one one piece that I'm done and, and, and out and that's going to be it I'm going to need continuing education I'm going to need to be the lifelong learner right and that pairs really well with Kelly what you had said kind of those micro steps um, people can add little parts to their their certifications or their their resume so to speak but in a much more practical sense where businesses can say you know what we need you as an employee to add this skill set um, go and get this. And because you yep. have more online or, or blended or diverse options, they can do that while still being an employee. Um, I totally agree. And I, and I will say, you had said early on in your comment, Kelly, that, you know, we, we don't really hear like why a two-year degree or, or maybe our people are asking why this or why that. The biggest one I was hearing even before COVID and now I'm hearing like loud in the industry nationwide is why four years? And what are those two years, what are they doing the first two years, you know, and what are they getting? And I'm saying this, not Cal, not Bridgewater, not you. This is my, just like me listening to the industry and just the talk around the industry. And it is very interesting because it was such a given when I was in high school, it was just, that's just what you did. And it wasn't even, it wasn't a decision that I made. It was almost made for me as I was growing up. I didn't decide that. And then it's really hard as a parent of, you know, an eight-year-old, 
I don't want to make that same decision because it'll be a different world in 10 years and in 2030 when he goes to school than it was for me in 2000. So, um, but anyway, thank you ladies. Really, you have to look at the individual to know what you, what that student wants and what's best for him or her because not, not every, you know, there are, prog- there, are, there are jobs and careers out there that you are going to need a four-year degree for, and you need to understand that, and you need to understand what those outcomes are, and there are programs and, or careers that you, you just, you know, you, you need the, the two-year degree, and you have to figure out the best option for that person. You know, what's best for me might not be best for you kind of a thing. So if I want to go back and get my teaching licensure, I might be able to take a few classes on our liberal arts side if I'm missing some, but I'm going to have to, I still need that, you know, that level. If I want to be a teacher to, uh, at that level, I need, I need that level of training. So you really have to look at the person um, and people need to just do what they're interested in, not what their friend thinks is best or, you know, there's a lot of peer pressure on that front. Right. Laura, I've got a perfectly good um, teaching license, good for the next four years. I'm happy to find out what the average Concordia tuition is. I'll cut that in half and sell it to you. (laughs) You know, I've already had my transcript evaluated. I I actually looked at that before I applied for this position at Ridgewater (laughs) when I was thinking about that route and what it would cost for me to get my, um, uh, be able to teach English because that was one of my my majors. Um, And it was going to be another two years and what it was going to cost. And that's where I I want to be in higher education and I'm just not quite sure where that fit is. Maybe it's K-12, maybe it's higher ed and I don't have a crystal ball. Um, maybe um, I will end up back in healthcare in 10, 20 years um, or maybe um, I will end up opening my own business at some point. I don't, I don't know, but um, I, I definitely feel a pull right now to be here in, in higher ed. Well, thank you ladies, Kelly and Laura for joining. Thank um, you for having us. This was fun. I hope it wasn't too painful. Hey, everybody. The Forever Game podcast is written and produced by Jamie and myself with help from Jennifer, who also works with us. We are the 1017 Media team, and we love social media marketing. So I have a question for you. Do you love your social media marketing? If you're an individual or a business and you don't love it, let us help you. We would love to help. We would love to just give ideas. We would love to sit down and help you um, develop a plan that you can execute or that we can help you execute. The strategy is always free. We don't charge for that. Um, If you need help with video, if you're interested in starting your own podcast or a vlog or a blog, or developing any sort of consistent high quality content for social media, let us know. That's what we do and we love doing it. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook. We are at 1017.media. You can also just head to our website and learn more. It's just 1017media.com. That's T-E-N-1-7media.com. Stay safe. Take care. Peace.